Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. In by Kulisevsky. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Come on, England. <laughs> and okay. our tactics guy and a music producer now. It's Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. <laughs> That's me. Yeah, just just riffing with uh, your fiance. Yeah, yeah. She, yeah. Uh, she has a beautiful voice, Nathan. Yeah, she does. She does. She, so this, it's, it's her birthday coming up and this was like a little treat for her because she always wants us to like record covers and stuff because she can just do that in one take, wow. basically, which is what she did. And I, I prefer to like practice and rehearse and record in multi track. And, uh, we have a hard <laughs> time finding songs that we both like. So that was like a little thing. Um, because she likes doing that. And of course she does. If you could sing like that, mm-hmm. you would like doing that too. So good. I really liked the um, visual effects you added as well. Thank you. It's all, all stuff learned for the purpose of editing <laughs> Patreon videos, basically. Nice. Nice. Uh, and we'll talk about the latest Patreon video shortly. A big, um, uh, a roaring success, I would say. Um, but first, we will talk about England. Because that's the, the match that's just happened earlier on today. I know Barley's just chomping at the bit to talk England. Um, <laughs> go on then, Barley, you kick us off. What did you What did you think? Well, I, I've decided that if you guys are going to win the World Cup, then I'm also going to win the World Cup. <laughs> I get told all the time, you're English when I support Italy. So, if, you know, if you're going to get an open top bus through London celebrating a World <laughs> Cup win, I've, I want to be involved. There's not many people that can say they've, they've won the World Cup three times in, in their lifetime. But, um, I mean, it was a bit of an em- embarrassment of a game. The, the opening two matches have been proper mismatches. In terms of in terms of quality, but you know England smashed them up, and that's um, it's a good thing. A lot of people on our Discord told us that um, Iran were going to park the bus and make a mess of it, but they're rubbish. And our Discord once again showing it doesn't know ball. <laughs> Firing shots already. Um, I was pleasantly surprised to see uh, a Southgate England team, which over the past few months has become increasingly conservative actually play with the handbrake off a little bit and have midfield runners into the box particularly in Bellingham and Mount and obviously Sterling Sterling's movement was fantastic I thought Sterling had such a good game for England um 
And I thought they controlled the game really well with possession at the back. John Stones, I thought a large part of that. I was really impressed with his performance. And um, and scoring six goals with Harry Kane not getting any of them, I think that kind of has to be seen as a good thing for England. I mean, often reliant on Kane's goals, albeit many of them are penalties. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the, the dream start, essentially. Nathan, what did you make of it? Um, so Iran changed their coach like just before the competition um i'm not sure how far back i want I don't, I don't know what the situation with that um so carlos Carreras, he was the coach of the previous tournaments then they they moved on from him hired someone else i can't remember the other coach's name sorry um through like qualifying and stuff and then went back to carlos Carreras, um for this tournament mm-hmm. so i i wonder what their tactical identity was before and after and mm. and and how much time he's had with the team um basically what i'm getting at is like yeah southgate's england have become very conservative and then he made some sort of more bold personnel selections and i also think that we played we and they're already apparently i also think that <laughs> england played um was likely to be quite a poor side in the end and mm-hmm. um like that's that that was sort of the maximization attacking wise rather than England are going to go out and play like they're aiming to score six for the rest of the mm-hmm. tournament I think um and then in the post-match uh interview Southgate was like upset about the two that <laughs> England conceded <laughs> rather than uh just celebrating the six so um I wouldn't be shocked if we go we again <laughs> go back to a <laughs> Uh, a more defensive style for the rest of the tournament and, and against the better sides in, in the tournament. I mean, I, I do think the two goals England conceded are a little bit of a concern. The, the two occasions that Iran must, mustered, like managed to get somewhere threatening, they scored from. So I think that needs to be looked at. Um, I thought Bellingham was great, but I, I thought it was a, a relatively easy game for him. We've got to see what happens against against better teams, of course. You've got, you've got to play Iran the whole way to the final. But yeah, good for England, man. Scored six goals and that doesn't happen often in, in a World Cup. Actually, you did it last World Cup as well. You, you pumped Panama in the last one. So yeah, it's a good, a, a good start. And at least um, it gets everybody a bit positive. That's the thing, isn't it? There's been um, a lot of questions asked of Southgate over the past few months and I think rightly so you know he he had such a good start as England coach and things looked really rosy and then you know what happened in the Euros happened it was a bit disappointing and then since then he's really struggled to to get a tune out of the team so to actually see things come together a little bit get some confidence in the players I think it's 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 what the team needed um at the start of this tournament and you know dare I say I know he plays for them, but Saka is a fabulous player and him getting off to a good start bodes well, I think, for England's chances of of achieving something in this tournament. You know, even if it's just quarters or semi-finals, I think that would still be seen as a relative success for England at this stage in their development. Um, and they need their best players to be on top form. I thought Sterling was great, as I mentioned. Saka was great. And, and as Bardi said, Bellingham, man of the match, outstanding performance. Really, really good. It's always good when you can kind of bury the kind of ghost of a previous tournament as well. So, I mean, I've got, I've got no love or, well, I do actually quite love Rashford and Saka for what they, the joy they gave me. But it's nice for them to be able to redeem themselves by mm. scoring a couple of goals. It's, it's important when you, when something bad has happened in the previous tournament to come into the next one and just kind of get rid of that, get that off your back and, and move forward. So as individuals, it's good for them. Rashford is such a good example of how much 
the mind plays a part in football. You, you can just see that he looks a different player now. He's not. He's clearly been unhappy for a long time at United, and that's shone through in his England performances as well. Suddenly, there's a new coach. He's playing in his favourite position again. He's getting more opportunities, and he he's getting his confidence back. He's he's rebuilding his love, and he looks like the Rashford of old. And I think we've seen it so often, and we've seen it at Spurs so often as well. Players who are clearly good players and have been good players in the past just just lose it. Look for whatever reason they lose it for. A, short period of time and fans give up on them and what's really nice for Rashford is that Southgate hasn't given up on him he's, he's stood by him and uh, he, hopefully he'll re- repay that sort of faith in him because he was probably on the verge at least a few months ago of not being in the squad uh, and suddenly he looks a really important part of it but now we it's convinced I'm convinced anyway that the moment England play a better team Southgate, Southgate's going to revert to type he's going to go back to a back three that's that's kind of nailed on though I don't know. I, I feel like this performance was so dominant and strong that he can't change this team for the next game. He could change the style of football. Um, he, he could definitely change the style of football and play more on the counter, but I think that would be difficult with the, the personnel that he'd have to select. It's the Kyle Walker, right? Kyle Walker's absence shies us away from the back three, I think. Yeah, quite possibly. On your point yeah. about um, you know unconfident players... Just keeping an eye to see if Jansen or Bergwijn score um, <laughs> in the game that they're playing up front as a two. In well, I watched a bit of the first half, and Bergwijn had some fabulous touches. He okay. looked he looked really good. He often does. He's a good player. <laughs> He's a really good player. He's a really good player. Yeah, I like Senegal a lot, though. I think Senegal um, are going to be a fun team to watch. You mentioned Rashid playing favorite position. I saw that he scored the goal in off the right. Is that where he played in the match? Uh, that- he did. I meant more for Man United. He's been playing a bit more through the middle. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Whereas Maguire is suffering from being a Man United player, and Sancho, not even at the tournament, is suffering mm. from his experiences as a Man United player. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's intriguing. I do think the England-US game is going to be an interesting one, not just because of a tactical battle, but <laughs> it's kind of like, it's a benchmark, isn't it, of how far the US have come. And like a lot of their fans really rate their team and think they're, they're, they're good. And a lot of England fans think England are good and the US are trash. So let's actually have this match and work out where both teams are at this stage. The I was thing is the US have some good youngsters. Yeah, I was under the impression the US are pretty rubbish at the moment. <laughs> I can't go through a week on Twitter without being asked about like a 17-year-old US player who's had three starts for his European club or uh, getting into an argument about the creative talents of Weston McKinney or, or whatever. It's, they're, they're really up on their players because yeah. they're, they're sort of finally bringing through some talent that has some technical and creative skill. But uh, yeah, they are still way off where they want to be, of course. Mm, yeah. Well, we will um, we'll be podcasting about that next week. <laughs> so that's going to be interesting. Um, it'll be fun on Discord anyway, because there's a, there's a real big American contingent now. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's like almost 50-50, I'd say. Yeah. yeah that I'm just going to support football that day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's absolutely fair. That's absolutely fair. Um, did the, did the armbands uh, discussion... Uh, change the way you felt about the match at all? Um, no. The, everything that surrounded the World Cup, I don't think the armband wouldn't have fixed anything. It would have been nice had it been done, but um, it, it wouldn't have changed anything in, in terms of how I feel about the, the tournament as a whole. Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm very, very low on the tournament as it is. Yeah. Um, but I was 
feel I was a tiny, tiny bit sort of G'd up by um, England saying that they were planning to, to, or Kane was going to wear the armbands regardless of a fine and then really let down that. Um, so what's clearly happened is that a combination of countries who were planning on wearing the one love armband um, contacted FIFA some time mm-hmm. ago about it, asking what the repercussions might be. And then an hour or two before kickoff, they've clearly got their reply that it would be like an on-pitch foul. We don't know what that means, whether it means that you get a yellow card, whether you get a yellow and then you're not allowed back on the pitch, whether you get a straight red, whether you're disqualified from from the game or the tournament. We That's left unclear to us for the, for the time of recording, at least. Um, but whatever it was, it was strong enough for England and Wales and Belgium and Denmark and a couple of others I've already forgotten. Holland, uh, I think. To... to to decide that they all collectively wouldn't do it, um, and yeah, to be honest, that's 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 disappointing. That's that's difficult, um, and that in combination with the Iranian players choosing to not sing their national anthem mm, protest yeah. um, made it hard for me to want England to win in that scenario. Um, I yeah. totally get that because that is a, I mean, that is a brave choice that those, yeah. those Iranian players have made there. Um, gen- like there could be serious repercussions for them, their families, people they know. So before they left, they were made to um, bow before the current um, regime president um, and and praise him. And then um, Saldor Azman, he uh, Azmoon, sorry, he sort of was threatened with not being called up. Um, despite being arguably their best player, um, because he's been vocal on on these topics previously, so that's the kind of weight that they're under, and they opted to not sing. Uh, huh. Whereas England um, asked permission. I mean, I was told early in my career always ask for forgiveness, not permission. You know, it just comes across as a box ticking exercise, a PR exercise. Um, just another piece of bureaucracy, you know. They made the statement. Kane said he was going to wear that armband. Just wear the armband. Don't ask about it. You don't need to ask the question. Wear the armband. And if something happens, something happens, and you deal with the aftermath. It's, well, it's, I mean, a, it's a damn shame that it came to this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you, you spoke there in the lens of, like, a professional uh, career, but, like, uh, protest. Yeah. <laughs> That's what this is. That's what this has to be. It's protest, right? can't be asked permission for yeah that's that's the country's point but um uh, we've just spoken now and and i've spoken on twitter recently um putting emphasis towards players and emphasis towards these symbols that are just symbols and like it matters because weight is put into it weight isn't put into it when when you come out and say we're going to wear the armband even if there's a fine and then don't do it um mm. there is weight to that mm. um but ultimately it's not that significant at all um it would have no effect on the tournament itself it it might you know um People in the LGBT community may feel proud if, of England doing that. Allies may well feel proud of England for doing that. It, it means something in that sense, but obviously uh, Qatar is the states that it is. The tournament is there. Their rules exist and are enforced 
horrifically and um like it's not on the players to fix that and why i am critical of uh england including kane although i don't think kane is right to be singled out because it appears to have been a decision over his head and it's similar with larice who spoke Mm. um quite Mm. poorly last week and apparently also previously to that in an unreleased video on on this kind of topic um obviously the decision has come from above his head like the players are the um, ambassadors, right? They're the faces. They're the ones who get interviewed as well as the coaches. But, like, it's not their fault. They're not responsible. I would like them to be courageous. I would like them to be prepared to put their own sporting career at minor risk for these meaningless symbols. Um, but I also think the kind of person who becomes one of the best footballers in the world has a very different mentality towards that competitiveness than I do. And I would say, to me, the symbol is more important than competition, right? With different mm. people who've ended mm. up in different areas of our lives. Mm. So I want more from from Spurs players, Kane and, and Lloris. But it also ultimately is is so, so low impact um, compared to the lesser named uh, suit wearers this who are responsible for the the horrors here. This is um, it. We, we have to remember yeah. that this is ultimately about corruption and that's how Qatar got the World Cup in the first place. And that, yeah. is, that is a huge, you know, it's the bureaucrats that have created this situation and the players are now being essentially punished for it. And let's not forget that, you know, football is unusual in the sense that it's an area where um, the dominant forces or certainly the dominant names are often from working class or ethnic minority backgrounds. And, and that puts those people in, in, a, in an uncomfortable position where they often are um, targeted for abuse for decisions that they make uh, to try and do good on occasion. Um, and you're right that it's the bureaucrats here that have to back them, have to take carry the can for what the players are having to face up to. I mean, I, I do want to say that I'm completely against everything that this World Cup is doing, but it's, this isn't the first time the World Cup's been bent as fuck, you know? Yeah. It's, um, there's, I mean, Italy 1934, it was a, a showpiece for, for Mussolini and, and fascism in Italy in Argentina 78. So the corruption within the World Cup goes on and on yeah. and on. But I think what's changed at this time is just everything else that goes on in, in Qatar and everything else that surrounds it. That's what's made this complicated. But I do think a lot of the time people are just go, oh, the World Cup is corrupt, it's corrupt. The World Cup, is, FIFA, has always been this way. Mm-hmm. And um, hopefully now for the first time, it's it's a bit more visible and things will change going forward. But yeah, there is, um, it, it's, it is quite complicated. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, let's let's cheer ourselves up with some questions. We've we've been banking a whole load of questions, knowing that we had this period coming up where it was going to be the World Cup. There was going to be no Spurs, uh, so we're going to tackle a few of those. Um, let's start with this one. Glenn says, with Hobby and Bentancourt on track for their best goal scoring seasons in their career, Hoybier also assists. Are we seeing anything different in how the midfield two attack the box with their runs and positioning compared to last season? I mean, is it simply that the the, the switch to three five two has freed them up, or is there something more than that? I I don't know whether Bentancur's got has he got all his goals when he's been in a when he's been in a midfield three. It'd be really interesting to look back at that actually. No, because I don't think so. 
No, I, I don't think so either. I'm not sure the, the goal he scored against Leicester, I'm not sure if that was in the three. So I, I don't know. I think a, a lot of it with Bentenko is just, is just settling down and um, understanding the game and just you know being a bit more settled. Joibio mm. has always had the ability to, to spank a ball. He scored, he scored a beautiful goal when Mourinho was in charge against Liverpool at home when we got beaten by them in COVID. He's, he's always had that ability to be able to smack one in. And it, it's good that they're chipping in with goals. Um, I think for the first time that I remember, Spurs are scoring more goals from like other sources rather than just Kane and Son, which is always a good thing. Mm. Nathan, have you noticed anything tactically when they play as a two that would that would lead to them scoring all? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think so. We spoke before about Bentacore specifically saying like the three five two, a spell of three five two gave him some some confidence in himself. Yeah. And then even going back to the two, he's still got like that that confidence in his game um, and that sort of sense of freedom. Definitely like not just the goals, but he's carrying the ball a lot more. He's dribbling the ball a lot more. Mm. Um, mostly we've seen the upside that we spoke about how he, uh, in, in the video we'll talk about later, how he overplayed it in midfield one time and uh, against Leeds <laughs> and turned it over. Um, but I'm happy to see him taking those risks on the ball. I, I, I remember we spoke... Um, he spoke last season, sort of end towards the end of last season, saying I expected more carrying from him. I expected mm-hmm. us to offer something different in in his ball carrying, and we're finally seeing that now. Um, and he's just he's on a hot streak, you know. And when you're on a hot streak, you want to get <laughs> in the box, and then he does, and he's way overperforming his expected goals, um, and that's fine. <laughs> that's that's fine. Um, and I, I think most of that sort of applies to, to Hoiberg as well. You know, you, you get a taste of, of freedom and then you remember that you can you can be effective <laughs> when you push forward you, you, and, and it's worth taking risks here and there. Mm, mm, mm. So just had a quick look. The Leicester, He scored against Leicester and that was in a midfield two. Uh, he scored against Bournemouth in a midfield three. He scored his two against Leeds after we'd switched from a two to a three. Mm. Uh, sporting had we moved to a had we moved to a three by the time he scored against sporting that was a that was from the corner though so i guess mm. it's a little bit different it's a little different yeah mm. yeah so there does seem to be a sort of positive correlation with this the midfield three and bentoncourt getting into the box more perhaps um i'd like to do some analysis of that of of the number of shots he's taking as a part of a two and a number of th- as part of a three that would be interesting quick question do you think harry kane has stolen um senior whippy's playbook and england are using his tactics <laughs> because they were pretty good at corners just a quick question i think england benefit from having uh, a very good set piece taker in kiri trippier and two incredibly good attackers of the ball in Maguire and Stones. Stones isn't the biggest, but he's he's underrated in how he, he meets the ball in the air. Uh, and Maguire obviously is a is man-mounted with a massive head. He's such a threat. Um, so I think it's more sort of personnel-related than, than set-piece routine-related. Okay. But having said that, I haven't studied the set-pieces in detail, so perhaps it does warrant a deeper look. I haven't in a while, but... Um, England are definitely doing very interesting things 2016, 2018. Um, so I haven't sort of checked what they're up to now, but um, I imagine that there's some interesting plays going on there. And if there aren't plays, there's like established principles that um, like even if you're not drilling, let's play it to Maguire at the far post, you can head it back across. Maguire knows that he's going to have a good time yeah. heading it back across from the far post. 
at the corner taking notes they're going to have a good time finding Maguire at the far post it's hackers know they're going to have a good time mm. waiting for Maguire and then arriving slightly late at the near post that sort of stuff so um, yeah yeah definitely definitely there's 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 plays going on there I'm pretty sure of that the, M- Maguire's movement for his header that hit the crossbar was absolutely fantastic uh, really really impressive just, I think he's just he, he I think he is genuinely genuinely quite an exceptional attacker of the ball from corners and England are kind of lucky to have both him and Kieran Trooper at the same time but yeah I'm, I'm interested in paying a bit more attention to set pieces now Bardi's raised that we are once again partnered with Athletic Greens so I'll hand over to Bardi so I started taking AG1 because I'm a person of routine mm-hmm. hey Nathan you know ball tell me what's an automation it's like a, a set pattern um uh, of play in order to achieve like a goal thanks do you know i have a set pattern of play well you're italian so you're bound to right that's correct nathan because a choreographed move is better than one that's freestyle i used to freestyle i had no order to how i put ag1 in my body i'd go ag1 then vitamin d lemon and water (laughs) but i improved on it in proper antonio conte style i made an adjustment and i'm all about automation and i'm thriving I go all the liquids first, then AG1, and then shake, and I get a beautifully smooth and clean hit of AG1. Imagine the difference when we see Hugo rolls the ball out to Romero, Doherty, Kulu, compared to when he goes Davinson, Emerson, Lucas. Automate better, improve your health. Water, AG1, then shake. Now over to my host, Windy. Lovely stuff, Barney, lovely stuff. So in 2020, Athletic Greens purchased carbon credits that support projects protecting old-growth rainforests, so we absolutely approve of that. And again, in 2020, they donated over 1.2 million meals to kids, so... Uh, they're, they're trying to do some ethical stuff as well and we really appreciate that to make it easy athletic greens is going to give you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin d and five free travel packs with your first purchase all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash extra inch again that is athleticgreens.com forward slash extra inch to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance john youngblood says curious if you've seen the link of Jan Oblak being a target to replace Larissa's first choice. I got into a lovely back and forth with a fellow Spurs fan who insisted that Oblak is better than Larissa and still a top five keeper in the world. My take is that Oblak's level has dropped and he'd be the wrong profile for a team wanting to play out of the back. What are your thoughts? And I think this may have been from a little while ago, but I, I feel like we're talking more and more about uh, long-term goalkeeper replacements and Oblak probably isn't a long-term goalkeeper replacement, but but what do you think of him, Nathan? Any any intel on Oblak and his decline or or not? Huh. So uh, when we spoke about him before, um, like beginning of the season, I think we spoke about how how like Larice is this excellent excellent shot stopper um, who's quite limited in his game, but has been dropping off. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we said, and now we're linked with Oblak, who is also a limited, excellent shot stopper who appears to be dropping off, but that's sort of largely based on the nineteen twenty season, where he was sort of average rather than excellent, and then this current season, um, where he's looked poor, but now that has sort of normalized as the game's gone on, and so he's back to sort of average again. <laughs> so um, it's kind of hard to say uh, just on, on numbers alone. It looks like maybe the current sort of trend line is he's gone from excellence to merely sort of good or okay. Um, but 
Um, he's still limited outside of his shot stopping. He's still an aged keeper. So arguably what we essentially be doing is buying Hugo Lloris from three years ago <laughs> and then being back to square one pretty quickly. So mm. Black is not, not the player for me, even mm. if he's currently a better player than Hugo Lloris. Mm. Bardi, any thoughts on Oblak? Are, are you a fan? I really, really liked Oblak a few years ago. Mm. Like everybody seems to suggest, his shot stopping has dropped. Um, I haven't seen enough of him recently. I probably would hazard a guess that he's probably in a better place right now than Larice, but I, I don't know for sure. And at 29, I still think there's plenty of plenty of years left in him as a kind of midterm okay. midterm replacement. So, I mean, Larice is what, 36, 37? You could get five Fair years enough. out of him easily. But I, yeah, I don't know if it's worth the money or worth the investment. So, yeah, Larice turns 36 next month. Um, and as you say, All Black is 29. So there is a considerable difference in age. So I guess if, if you know... I guess the thing is, yes, you'd swap them if you could today because of age. Um, but we probably could get a better stylistic fit. We could probably get a younger goalkeeper who we could bank on for the next 10 years. You know, that's the ideal situation. Um, so I don't know if it's a realistic target for us is where I'm at. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we did something like this, if we went for a more mature goalkeeper, as a, especially under Conte, as a, as a two or three year stop thing. I wouldn't mm. be surprised if this is the route we take. Sure. I'm not all in on Sanchez and Raya. I'm not, I'm not wholly convinced on them. I still think, despite being great with their feet and being really good with distribution, I'm not sure whether that balances what I think is an inferior shot stopping. Now, obviously, they're better shot stoppers than Lloris, so mm. it's... It's an improvement, but I mean, if we're going to aim for a top-level goalkeeper, I'm not sure those are the two individuals to do it. Mm. Interestingly, he's another goalkeeper that captains his national team. Um, though part of me does wonder if that's simply because he's the best player in the national team, which sometimes yeah. does happen. Uh, yeah, we were recently linked. Um, actually, I, I think I remember the three names, but I just want to double-check. I vaguely remember this. Uh, here we go. Pickford, Sanchez, and Melier. Melier, yes, of course. It was it was just before the Leeds game or just after the Leeds game, right? So yeah, uh, Robert Sanchez definitely definitely one that I like. He's he's high on my list. He might be my number one pick. I think um, Pickford is obviously going to cost quite a bit of money. Has limitations in his game. Has a weird energy about him. <laughs> he really does. He's such an odd guy. Um, really good long passer. Not mm. so keen on his short passing game. And then Melier. I think we spoke about Melier a couple of weeks ago. He's like, he's very much a prospect. Mm. And um, like Melier, at some point in the next six years, there's a reasonable case to be made that Melier will become one of the very best keepers in the world. Um but he's not there yet. And it might be next year, but it might not be for five years. And yeah. I think that for our aspirations, um, we want someone to come in and do their best job of not feeling like we've had a massive, massive drop off from Larice, um last year's release anyway. Mm -hmm. um, some, and someone who's going to say, look, here's my upside in my passing game and my cross claiming and, and things like that. So... I don't think Melly is the one for me. So those are the three keepers that we've been linked with. Um, it's sort of not promising on a um, on like a method angle, but mm -hmm. there's one in there who's my number one pick. 
I mean, it's a bit funny for goalkeepers in general at the moment. Even just using the World Cup, which is never a, the best kind of sample size, everybody's opted for experience in, in goal. Spain is the only country that has that, that bucks the trend by having um, Unai Simon, Simon, uh, Raya and, and Sanchez, the goalkeepers we're talking about. The other one worth watching, Nathan mentioned him a few weeks ago, is the, the Portuguese chap Costa. Otherwise, it's a pretty much a much of a muchness out there. Everybody's gone experienced. Everyone's gone old. Pickford is um, a goalkeeper that many, many years ago I went after. And he didn't become the world-class keeper that Windy thought he was going to be. But I think he's pretty solid. And had Everton got relegated, I would have advocated a move for him. I'm still not against that because I still think his shot-stopping is decent enough. Um, and his distribution is miles better than Lloris. So he, once again, he would be another upgrade. And Lloris, who I really think is in a pretty bad place right now. Mm. Uh, one other name that I think it's worth keeping an eye on across the season is uh, Gavin Bazunu, who's at Southampton now, moved there from Man City. I really, really, really like him. I saw him first game of the season and I was just like, hello. Mm. I liked him. liked him a lot. He looks really good. And I think there's a chance that Southampton could get relegated this season. And I, if he carries on playing as well he's stopped, as he's playing right now, there's no need for him to stay with a relegated club. He could easily stay in the Premier League. Shot so stopping for this season is third percentile. Say that again. <laughs> His shot stopping for this season is <laughs> half a goal a game negative third percentile. Right. I mean, uh, is that something to do with the way Southampton are playing? Uh, maybe. I mean, it's a tiny, tiny sample. So mm. it's based on 15 matches. But if those are the 15 matches you've watched, you've been impressed. Um, and I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> mm. I've seen him a couple of times and I've, I've liked him both times. I, I think he's one to watch. He's the Ireland Ireland goalkeeper as well. And I I know that our Irish contingent rate him in the the Discord. Yeah, someone to keep an eye on. Um, I'm going to read a long email we received from Harry Tates and Stokes because I think it kind of sums up where a lot of fans are at the moment. So this was sent to us after the Nottingham Forest game, before the Leeds game. And obviously things have changed a little since the Leeds game because people are kind of a little up on it. But here's what Harry says. I am confused. I knew I loved Poch and was gutted when he was sacked, even if maybe it had to happen at the time. I knew I hated Jose and was ecstatic when he was sacked. Not even going to mention Nuno because why would I? Conte is confusing me. An incredible season last season and playing some really good football. Kane reinvigorated, the North London derby win, mentally defeating Arteta, putting just enough pressure on Levy to get some movement in the summer. All of this makes me want to love him and be all in on Conte. But I just can't. This week is probably the perfect example of why. A good performance against Liverpool that makes me think, despite the loss, that Conte does see this as a longish term project and so I need to take the rough of the smooth for a while. But then last night against Forest, he makes some absolutely baffling decisions. Spence not starting that game is ridiculous. Kane starting is ridiculous. It was a pathetic performance and people can say it's on the players all they like. But in 30 minutes of action, Spence showed Conte up for not playing him for the rest of the season. How can I get behind this for the long term? I'm so conflicted and think a lot of people are too. I can't get behind him, but I don't want him gone. Our league position is good. We're through the Champions League group stage, but the football and selections are so shite. Tell me what to think, please. I think that sums it up quite nicely for a lot of Spurs fans right now. People are just unsure what there is to kind of grip hold of and and dream on with Conte. I do think it will be better in the second half of the season. I think that we will look to reinforce um, a centre-back and a back-up to Kulisowski, and that will deal with a lot for us. Um, I definitely understand your frustrations. I think that, like, 
you adored Pochettino, but like, look how Pochettino stalled Kyle Walker Peters' career. Yeah. Um, the same position, um, you know, similar strengths and weaknesses. Um, and now Kyle Walker Peters, having gone away to where he's actually playing football, has developed into a very good, um, Premier League level, um, fullback slash wingback who we've even been linked back to paying lots of money to bring back to us right so this definitely isn't unique to Conte like managers are always going to frustrate you even the ones you adore um Conte especially um has frustrated every fan base that he has taken control of the team for he's also brought glory to all of those teams uh maybe not Italy but maybe um so that's kind of what you get with Conte. But it's like, to me, the most important thing is like what you said in the initial uh, paragraph. It's like, you're never going to love Conte. I'm never going to love Conte. Windy's never going to love Conte. Bardi things are different. But <laughs> for most of us, like, Pochino was dad, <laughs> right? And and things things won't change that. Um, even if, I think, even if Conte is here um, for five years, it's just, it's still very much a meeting of conveniences. Um, and that's cool if we become the one club who Conte has a project with and he develops into a manager who can run a longer term project. And there's a story there and that's cool. But like, he'll never love us and we'll mm -hmm. never love him. And we might play some really good football and we might win a trophy that we never did under Pochettino, but it's never going to quite have the same level of that very particular variety of joy that we experienced under Pochettino, I think. Conte is a manager. You know, he turns up, this is a job for him. This isn't some vocation. This isn't yeah. something that he's... He, Pochettino was, was nobody when he, he came to us and he built his career at Tottenham. So for that that reason, he's like we have an affinity towards him. Whereas Conte's won all of this stuff and he comes here and he's here because we pay him well. It's the one of the best, it's the best league in the world and he gets to manage some of the best players and it's it's good for him to be here. That's why he's here. He's not here for charity. I think if Conte wins us trophies, then everybody just falls in love with him and when he leaves, which he will, we are, we'll be very happy with what he's given us. Inter hated him, man. He's, he's Inter and Juventus hate each other, but he came there and he, he went there and he did a job and he won them the league, something that they hadn't done since Mourinho was there. So they were upset when he left, but it's a job. I think sometimes with English football, we get so obsessed with the romanticism and the connection and this and that and that. It's just football. Let's win some games and win some trophies and, and move on with everything. And I don't think using not playing Spence as a reason to, to, to hate Conte. This season, this first part of the season was all about getting out of the group and finishing as high as we can. And we've done that. And now we move on to the second half. If the second part of the season remains like this, where we play rubbish for 60 minutes and then score in the last few minutes, then I'll be a bit concerned. But I don't think it will be like that. We, we used to be able to have this conversation about, do we want our next manager to be uh, a project manager, someone who builds something from the ground up and who we can get behind as an individual and who feels like they're, they're pulling in the same direction as us as fans? Or do we want someone to just come in and win some trophies? And I think the way that football has moved now means that even if we want the latter... I don't think we can have the latter. I don't think we can have someone who just comes in and wins his trophies. It's, you know, we've got Antonio Conte, one of the best managers in the world. 
and he's finding it really hard to win his trophies or is going but to find it really hard to win his trophies. He's only been here a year and like half a season at that. So it's not like he can... Basically, we're not going to have any more project managers because we're already built. Chelsea didn't hire Potter to be a project manager. They hired Potter to manage the players that he's got there. I think what we need to get our heads around is behind the scenes, there'll be Paratici buying these players like Spence, Brian Hill, these kind of project players. And I think we need to manage them better. But the manager's there to to, to smash the 15 players that we do have and get the most out of them. And behind the scenes, we'll, the project building will continue. I don't think we're too big a club now to get somebody who's never done anything in football to come and then try and build a, a group of youngsters. It, it just won't be like that. We will go out and buy a Romero, a Ndombele, a Giovanni Lo Celso and kind of hope that they're the finished products. What that means then is that essentially we are Chelsea now. Pretty much. We are. We are pretty much Chelsea. That we are an established, we're European Super League, you know. We are an established club and we're never going to be a small club. And like Newcastle became a project because all of a sudden billions of pounds arrived there. And that's a project. But Tottenham, we're not a project anymore. Mm. What are we? We're a conglomerate. We've become, we are a conglomerate. Unfortunately, we don't quite have the money our, or our chairman doesn't quite splash. That's it, isn't should. it? That's the problem. But we, we are, we are, we're maybe not Starbucks, but we're Cafe Nero or Costa Coffee. We're a, a conglomerate that's all over the place. Because this is the thing, right? We, we are Chelsea in terms of our managers and the way we deal with managers. So one doesn't quite achieve the, the leadership's ambitions and leaves and another one comes in. But we don't have the financial might of Chelsea yet. Maybe we will when the stadium revenue starts to really sort of kick in, but we don't have it yet. So we struggle to, we will struggle, I think, over the next couple of seasons to have the same level of success. Um, if we win a league, it's not a fairy tale because City are the greatest, one of the greatest sides of all time, and obviously one of the richest sides of all time. So how, like, how can you compete with Pep Guardiola City? It's all, it's almost impossible except if you've got Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool, who equally are rich and had, had two of the best players in the world and the team at the same time. It's it's really tough. And, and so are we saying, what are we saying? Are we saying we just, we give up on romanticism completely? Do we, we give no. up on, on wanting a journey with a manager? We can have a journey. We can have romanticism, but us winning the league isn't Leicester a thousand to one winning the league. If we win the league, it's because things have fallen into place nicely, but we're a team that's set up to win the league. That's what's been built towards. Of course, we don't quite have the players yet, but that's what the, they've created with this club. Um, we are, as we always take the mick, we're massive. We are massive. We're not West Ham. We're not Leicester. Yeah. And um, I just don't think there's going to be this romantic journey of a, a nobody, of Ryan Mason. Ryan Mason will never get this job. They're not going to turn one day and go, here you go, Mason, you're in charge now. Or Ledley King. It's not. They have to go out and they have to do something before they manage us. If Ryan Mason becomes Tottenham manager full time, it's because something has gone really drastically wrong with the club. So that, I mean, you've got me thinking um, about Arsenal, of course, because their fans would say, do say, I'm friends with some Arsenal fans. I know, I know. Um, they say that they have got that romantic aspect of their club back because they've got because a former player. Yeah, 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 exactly. But they've got a former player who's, they think, and I, I'm not saying I completely agree, rebuilding them from the ground up. He's he's implementing a style and he's done it over a long period, or a fairly long period of time by modern football standards. Um, and, and so they do have, and, and he's using a lot of homegrown young players. So they have got a little bit of what we had in Pochettino and yet 
with a manager who was who has a history of the club. So is that what we have to hope for? We have to hope that like someone who's at that level um, and has a link with the club can come in at some point and and give us that feeling. There's four hundred million pounds worth of players bought into that. That's not that's not a, a fairy tale. Yes, they've been lucky. They've got Saka and who else? That's it. Smith Rowe and uh, Smith Rowe, Nketiah and Nelson. If they could, they would get rid of Nketiah tomorrow. <laughs> but um, they've got a £50 million centre-back, a £50 million centre midfielder, a goalkeeper they spent a lot of money, Jesus, Zinchenko. You know, they spent money. They spent money in this thing. They just had time. And it wasn't a romance film in May last season. That was, you know, that was a snuff film, that was. Um, yeah, I don't think it's the fairy tale that they like to believe it is. They just, you know what they, they they like to package things up in a nice fancy bow and, and label it, but they're not. Quite depressing conversation, really. <laughs> no, it's not. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with Spurs being a conglomerate. I'm okay with Spurs being a massive club. I'm all right with that. Mm. Yeah, I, I struggle with it, to be honest. Um, and I guess the thing is, the way to get through it is by not confronting it. And when you're forced to confront it, like we just have, it's, it's, it's challenging. Uh, I mean, I do think... Conte can deliver some romance for us. I, I don't think it's out of the question that Conte can to, can make us feel things because he's who he is. He's a very emotional person, and you know the way he is on the touchline, the way he is sometimes in press conferences can ignite emotions in football fans. So he he does talk a good game, um, but he's also <laughs> he sets himself up in direct opposition to the club that you love sometimes, and that's really <laughs> challenging to to deal with as well that's his personality I think <clears throat> AC Milan are huge but what they did last season winning the winning the Serie A title was romantic you know mm. that's there's mm. something nice to that yeah and um, Liverpool I hate to go on about Liverpool but Liverpool when they win the league or when they do something when they win their FA Cup or something there's romanticism involved in that as well there is mm. there is beauty to be had in winning but we don't need to get so hung up on the what goes on behind the scenes Real Madrid winning the Champions League again there's, there is beauty in that for their fans mm. let's have an FA Cup Antonio we, we, we were the FA Cup team for so long let's, let's get back to that for a little while let's just win the FA Cup every year You have been listening to The Extra Inch with me, Windy, my sidekick and best friend, Barney, and our tactics guy, Nate Clark. If you like this, there's plenty more at patreon.com forward slash The Extra Inch. Production is by Nathan A. Clark. Our logo, artwork and website are designed by Trayton Miller. Our music is by David Lindmer. You can find him on Instagram at David Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us at podcast at theextrainch.co.uk. Subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. And most importantly, be sure to tell all of your Spurs friends. Shout out to the X-Sub, we love every single last one of you. And of course, come on you Spurs. Thank you.